Well, greetings, listeners in listener land. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis In Tune. We'd like to welcome you to the show today. Man, I tell you what, I remember back when I was a kid, and my parents would drive us downtown. We would maybe see the, uh, at Christmas time, at Famous Bar and Sticks Bear and Fuller, I'm dating myself now, the windows uh-huh. with the trains and all right. that stuff. Right. And we would drive down by the riverfront, and you would get this wonderful smell mm-hmm. of licorice. Oh. Man, I tell you, it was like you could you could taste it in the air. It was so good. And there there is a book that's coming out. It's called Candy Men. And our guest today has spent the last 30 years producing television programs for PBS, locally and nationally. He's a five-time Emmy Award winner, created documentaries, weekly series, musical variety shows, and he's hosted the St. Louis Speaker Series from Powell Hall for the last 22 years, interviewing more than 150 of the world's most renowned artists, writers, adventurers, and political leaders. He is also an artist. He loves his woodcuts. He does a great job with his woodcuts. Is he the woodworking? Is that like- no, uh, like a woodcut? Uh, 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 where you put art or put ink on it and you print. Oh, and yeah, and okay. they're they're very good. Oh, and yeah. but he spent his boyhood hearing family stories about the Switzer Licorice Company, where his father, grandfather, and great grandfather worked as candy men. Patrick Murphy, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, I I think I saw you last in the Schnooks parking lot in Webster Groves. You were driving your convertible. And I was like, there's Patrick over there in the parking lot. Yeah. Really, uh, Schnooks nowadays is about the extent of my social life. If I have any social life, it's usually it's Schnooks. Well, well we, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk about this book. And it's, it's not printed yet. And let's kind of get that off the table. When's it coming out? It's supposed to come out October 1st, but I hear it might come out a few days earlier. So it could come out just about any time, but uh, it's scheduled for release on October 1st, and then it hits the bookstores, wherever fine books are sold, and uh, you can also order it at candymenthebook.com. We make mm. that easy for you as, as well. Okay, and we'll, we'll uh, re, uh, reiterate those things. Now, what was the impetus behind uh, writing the book? Obviously, there's there's a what, connection there. There, there is, and... Uh, I never really thought that this would be the material for a book until my wife and friends and we would tell stories and people would say, hey, that would make a great book. And so I finally decided just just to do it. Um, I grew up I grew up spending a lot of time down on the landing where it was basically it wasn't before it was an entertainment district when it was just a warehouse district with factories and and because my father worked at Switzer's Licorice and his as you said and his father worked at Switzer's Licorice and my great grandfather started the company with Fred Switzer. Oh, wow. uh, my great grandfather uh, was born in Dublin, Ireland. And he worked in his can his family's candy store in Dublin, and then he got involved with the uh, Irish rebellions, and they were going to hang him. <laughs> so Ooh. he got on a boat and came to America. And this is about 1870, and all he knew was how to make candy from his candy store uh, background. So he married a woman named. He came to St. Louis. He moved into Kerry Patch, which was the Irish slum on the near north side, where all the Irish lived. And he married a woman named Margaret Switzer, and she had a younger brother named Fred. Switzer sounds German, but it's actually Irish, long story. And they started this little candy company out of their tenement 
They made the kitchen in the uh, in, in in the in the stove in their tenement, and uh, Murphy made it. And Switzer sold it on a push cart around the landing and around Cary Patch for like a penny a piece. Wow! And eventually, they started a factory uh, in the 1880s down right between where the legs of the arch would be right now on First Street. And then in 1911, they moved into the the famous factory by the Eads Bridge, where if you're of a certain age, you will remember okay. this Switzer candy company right at the Eads Bridge with this gigantic candy bar on the side. Exactly. So I remember. It, it was probably the most conspicuous factory anywhere because it was right there at the Eads Bridge. And once they tore down all the buildings in the 40s, uh, just about any picture of the building, the arch, has a picture of Switzer's peeking out there from mm-hmm. from behind somewhere mm-hmm. and it's, and we we grew up my brother and i going down to the factory all the time to visit my dad and so we knew the factory backwards and forwards we would actually go into the drying rooms and pick out a handful of the switzer's licorice when it was still baking oh, and man. go up to the go up to the roof of the factory where the machine shop was mm-hmm. and and at the time i remember Watching them build the arch with a mouthful of Switzer's licorice, and uh, did you like black just, or, or red? Which <laughs> what do you prefer? That is that is always the question: black or red? <laughs> yeah, and this reflects my age, I guess. Old people like the black. Yeah, my dad and, loved the black. My my dad loved the black. There's nothing like the black. And, yeah, that's good. It's good. Oh, the black is it wonderful. Is. If, I mean, but if you've this, never had, you know, it, yeah. if, I regard that as being kind of a, a purist. I mean, the black is the real stuff, <laughs> okay, you know? All right, all right. And then in the, 19, in the 1950s, they started making the red that ah. eventually started outselling the, um, outselling the black. And now um, Switzer's is, it went out of business. We could talk about that. And then it came back in business. And now they're selling all kinds of different flavors like lemonade and Raspberry. cherry cola and all kinds of, yeah. all kinds of stuff. But, I love that factory. It was like a 19th century gravity-driven factory with, with belts and gears, and you know, it was just just this crazy center of, of, of activity. And I just I just always always loved the place. Oh, you know, I always loved when we were down in that area, like you were talking at, at the landing. You would you can't you couldn't miss that building. You couldn't miss the sign next to Eads Bridge, and yeah. you couldn't miss the smell. The smell is was it's kind of like driving south on fifty five when they're they're brewing beer down at AB, and you, yeah. you just can't miss that smell at all. Can, can I? What is uh, fresh licorice like coming right off the the assembly line? Is it? It's got to be different than after it's set around for it, a while. And, it's 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 more like kind of a almost like a sweet bread. Uh, because they bake it more like bread rather than like a chocolate candy, so it's it's a little bit doughy, and 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 it's warm and it tastes like this you know anise licorice flavor, yeah. and uh, it, you can't it's just. Still, just thinking about it brings back all these. I bet they're making my mouth water. Well, I, yeah. and, and like, I mean, I can still smell it. If I think about it, I can smell it because it wasn't just the landing for me. That's the way my dad smelled. Yeah. Like uh, huh. the, the door oh, would I open bet. and you'd come in from work, and there'd be the smell of anise that would go through the house. Mm. And that's how his father smelled. Yeah. And I guess that's how his father smelled. Oh yeah. It's the the the, the Murphy family smell. Yeah. So there was some family recipe that um, your, I guess your great grandfather yeah. brought over, and uh, what distinguished that 
particular kind of candy recipe from other candies that were being produced? Or was that the only licorice going around at the time in St. Louis? Because it became a national and international kind of, frankly, licorice. It did. It did. Well, the big, the big competition was Twizzlers. And, oh. uh, and, and you know, that, that was different. That was, it was harder, and it was like, you know, strings of, of licorice. Uh, Switzers sold bars and bites, and later they had like lariats, which were long pieces of, right. of, of, of licorice like, like a rope. But it's interesting because when the candy company started out, it was chocolates and creams and a thing they called buttermels. And it was like candy, candy, you know, like what you think of as being in a box of candy. Mm-hmm. And then around the time of the First World War, they started producing licorice because licorice started becoming popular in America. Well, I've learned a lot about the candy industry, for sure, doing the research for this. And it started becoming popular, but they changed completely over to licorice right before World War II started because of candy, of sugar rations. Hmm. So that's when they became licorice, because licorice is like sweet on its own and doesn't require sugar. So they dropped all of the other candies, and they strictly went with, with licorice. And after the war, they just never went back, and it was Switzer's Licorice. Uh, the company had a few names before that. At one time, it was called the, the Yellow Jacket, Switzer Yellow Jacket Company, hmm. and because they made a candy called, called Yellow Jackets. But um, it's really been Switzer's Licorice since, uh, since World War II. But yeah, they made all kinds, all kinds of different, uh, different candies. Wow. Now, you, you mentioned, I think, in the book about your, you correct me if I'm wrong, your grandfather who knew all the names of the children's, the children's names of the men who swept the factory floor. Uh, he would oh, yeah. check out the baking process. He oh, yeah. would, would do a lot of things. He was a very humble kind of uh, guy. He was, he was kind of a funny guy. He, he was born in 1847. And he died in 1932, so I never knew him. But I heard so many stories about the guy growing up that I sort of felt like I knew him. And I knew his, I knew, I knew his, his kids, my grandfather and, and, and his brothers. Uh, but he was, uh, again, as I said, he got involved in the, in the Irish nationalist movement, and there was a rebellion in 1867 outside of Dublin, and he got involved in it. And they didn't catch him, but they saw his name on a list of people who, if they caught him, they were going to hang him. Hmm. So he came to the United States, again, just knowing about, about licorice. But he was like a, like a sugar whisperer. He could make candy out of just about almost anything because wow. he'd grown up in Dublin making it. And then he traveled around the United States for a while working in different places, learning how they made it in, in, in America. But um, he, uh, he was just real hands-on, as you said. Like, he, he, he knew how to make it. He would go down and he would buy uh, the butter and the sugar from the markets. And he even had a trick. You couldn't do it now, but he knew that if you bought butter that was just slightly rancid, again, this is like 1890, I don't think you could do it now, it made for a better caramel. And he would, uh, he'd, he'd, you know, he'd, he'd work on the machinery, but he was also funny. After after they forgave him for being a rebel, he went. He would go back to Ireland every few years and just disappear for a few months, and then come back to America. So you know, he was just kind of a character. Really enjoyed roaming and 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 ma- making licorice. Kind of a kind of a carefree guy. Where Switzer, his brother in law, he was more the businessman, the marketing guy, 
And, uh, in fact, the name of the company was Murphy Switzer when they started out. And in 1893, there was a Great Depression. It was called the Panic of 93. And the company went bankrupt. Hmm. So Fred Switzer's sister, another sister, bought the company and gave it to her younger brother. So one morning in 1893, my great-grandfather woke up and discovered that there was not a Murphy Switzer company. There was a Switzer company. And he was out of a job. Wow! So he got all tick- he got all ticked off and went to Boston and took the family and and wasn't going to come back. And then finally, Fred Switzer coaxed him back because Fred knew how to sell licorice, but he didn't know how to make licorice. And so they got back to back to business again around 1903, 1904, around the time of the World's Fair. And that was the beginning of three generations of Switzers and Murphys all working together at the same plant. So there was always a generation of Switzers, always a generation of Murphys for like hundred years. Wow! So yeah, it's it's you know a tradition like that just really kind of gets in your. And I would tell these stories, and I, I just thought they were family stories, and I was surprised that people found them interesting. <laughs> yeah, because so, uh, there was uh, Patrick, yeah. there was a uh, a couple factories. There was one, I guess. Like you said, down near the arch, and then they moved to the to the one that we kind of all knew, and then it had its own yeah. its own little end that has a story in itself. Um, oh yeah! But they were very they, they were very prolific in uh, making making the, the licorice, and were very successful right away. It seems like they were, and they they started selling it all over the country. And again, they had competition, and uh, there was. Uh, you know, there were other companies. There was a lot of competition for candy just in St. Louis. Uh, there was Mavrakos. That was a family mm-hmm. business, mm-hmm. Uh, a Greek family. Wow. Uh, there was uh, the, the Dunham Coconut Factory where they made coconut for, for candy bars. Huh. Um, there, was, there were all of these. In fact, there were close to a, 100 candy companies, like in 1910, in, in St. In Louis. And wow. I, think, I think one of the reasons was because there oh, were man. so many immigrants. Mm-hmm. You know, my family's Irish, but, you know, Greeks and Germans and, and, and different people all had their own candy tradition. And so St. Louis became a real candy center in the, in the United States. Now you saw, uh, you, or you mentioned that you saw some movies from, uh, oh, yeah. from your grandparents uh, on... Let's see. I got to get the street correct here. Lockwood. <laughs> Lockwood. And uh, what what kind of stands out in in those memories that that lingered and that kind of transferred to the book? Well, uh, those of you who know Webster, which is probably a lot of you, uh, know uh, where Big Bend and Lockwood come together, mm-hmm. and the, the house is still there, five twenty five East Lockwood, and and. Um, my family moved there in my great grandfather. They moved out of the city. They moved out of Cary Patch. They went from Shanty Irish to Lace Curtain Irish. They moved to Webster when Webster was kind of like a new place to come, you know, to get out of the soot and dirt of the city. In 1909, they moved to Lockwood, and uh, and they lived there. And then my his son bought the house next to them on Lockwood, and the houses are still there. The neighborhood looks very much the same, and I found. Over the course of doing this research, I found in an old box that belonged to my parents this old canister of film. And on the, on the front of it, it said, Murphy Family, December 1930. I just about went nuts. Yeah. I 
could hardly get my hands on I had no idea what was on it. I couldn't get my hands on an old projector fast enough. And I got one, and I, showed, I, I, I turned it on, and I was absolutely amazed. It was like nine minutes of the family, the whole family, in December of 1930, Christmas. So everybody was there, and they were all out in the front yard. And what was crazy is the neighborhood looks the same, but they're old Model A Fords going down Lockwood, and mm-hmm. there are... There are wooden streetcars, you know, going past. There's uh, uh, where Cyrano's is. That's like a car dealership. So the whole family is standing out there mugging. The men are wearing fedoras and long coats, and the women are wearing, you know, old 1930s clothes. And everybody is in it. And then in this one scene, and they're all mugging to the camera like people do. And in this one scene, it flashes to the old guy himself, the guy who came from Dublin, Joseph Murphy. And there's this close shot of him with his sons, my grandfather, who's only in his 30s in this. And they're all looking. When when I was looking at it, it was as they were looking right straight at me. And it was a really funny, very funny feeling, as if I was actually connecting with these people who I'd seen in photographs, but I'd never actually seen the moves if they were alive. Mm, wow. So that was quite a find. That was quite a find. And I... I took the whole film and I gave it to Tom Cooper at the Webster Library. So uh, he's got it on file there if anybody wants to see it. Yeah, to talk about them speaking to you from the past like, hey, you wow. know, get this book written, get this, get all these fancy stories <laughs> in know. here. I know, and my, my, my grandfather, uh, my grandfather's brother, Fred, he lived, he lived like to be almost 90 years old. So I actually knew the guy, and he grew up in Cary Patch. Like, he was in the First World War. He worked at the, at the factory when it was where the arch is. And I was so lucky because in 1967, my dad and his brother interviewed him on, like, on those little tiny little reel-to-reel tapes that they had back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And years, years ago, I was working at a radio station, and I actually turned them all, put them all on cassettes, hoping that... A modern technology like cassettes would endure forever. You know? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Go figure. And, and so, and so um, I, I had like hours of the family sitting around where Fred, Uncle Fred, is talking about family history and about the factory and about what it was like. Oh, how great. And that was an incredibly rich source of information. And it's funny. It's an Irish family, right? So, you know, throughout the entire interview, you can hear the clinking of, gl- of ice in glasses. And, uh, you know, the pouring of drink, right. you know, so right. it's, it was funny. But, I mean, what a gift that was, too. So between oh, yeah. the film and, and, and the interview and just memories of, you know, family stories, hearing them all talk about. And I call it candy men because that's what they made, candy. And they would proudly, when they'd get together, the men in the family would all kind of puff up and go, you know, we're, we're candy men. Uh, <laughs> what they were. Oh, good for them. We're, we're candy men. And uh, so they called you know, themselves you know. Candyman, then they were proud of that, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. And I, I like to think that Uncle Fred is looking down and thinking, Yeah, good going, Patrick. Thanks for telling this story. Oh, <laughs> he's probably right. That's great. We're talking to Patrick Murphy, he's the author of a, an upcoming book uh, that's coming out October the 1st called Candyman The Story of Switzer's Licorice. And you can get that book at candymenthebook.com. Candymenthebook.com. I love this statement. That uh, it was, it's kind of a um, uh, what do they call those things that are uh, a motto? It's a motto. Okay. We eat yeah. as much as we can, and we sell the rest. 
<laughs> ah, that's, that's Mike. That's Mike Switzer, uh, who is the grandson of Fred Switzer, the founder. And and uh, well, that's an interesting part of the story too. Why don't, why don't we get into that a little bit? There's 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 no reason to believe that Switzer's ever would have survived what it survived, because it was it was sold to a company called Beatrice Foods in 1966. So it, it went from a little family factory, you know. 150 people making licorice there by the East Bridge. And then this is the 60s, so it's the age where corporations start buying other corporations. So Beatrice brought it, bought it. The quality starts to decline, naturally, because they're into making money. It wasn't the family thing, you know, where the I'm going to guard the recipes with my life, and we're going to produce quality candy. So the quali- <laughs> and then they sold it to another company, which sold it to another company, wow. which by you know the 1990s was owned by Hershey's, and Hershey's just care. killed it. They, didn't care. They, 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 they took it off. They had their own licorice, you know, and so they didn't need it. So there's no... There's, there's no licorice. They're not making it anymore. You know, the brand is, like, gone. Right. Yeah. The old factory, they've been there since 1911. It was this landmark in St. Louis with the big candy bar on the side of its bridge, uh, the smell. Uh, there's a storm in July of 2006. It had been abandoned for 20 years since it had been sold to a bigger corporation. And they've been planning to turn it into a hotel and a casino, and nothing ever happened of it. So in July of 2006... Um, it blew, it, it, a good part of it blew down mm. and it was a bad storm and it tore off the east wall. Uh, then they kind of did it around with it. They didn't know exactly what to do. They thought maybe they could fix it up again. And in 2007, it was just in such bad shape. They tore it down. So there's absolutely, there's no, no brand, no licorice. And now no factory, no mm. building, no trace that it had ever existed oh. in people's memories. And a few years passed, and Michael Switzer, who, was, who is, was an ad guy in St. Louis, Curling Switzer Ad Agency, they did a lot of work. Uh, he had sold his company and was really into brands and really appreciated good legacy brands. And it occurred to him, bam, I've got one just right in my own front yard here, Switzer's Licorice. And what about the idea of bringing it back? So he uh, checked out. Uh, all of the you know the laws and the copyrights and trademarks and all of that, and went into business with a, a, a Webster guy, Dan Warner. Some of your audience might know Dan, and uh, they uh, they reinvigor- it reinvigorated the factory, and now they're selling it all across the country right now. Cracker Barrels, dollar stores, Strobs, uh, Schnooks. Uh, and the headquarters is actually located on North Gore. That's where the office is. So this full cycle comes around, and it ends up in, in Webster, and they're doing great. And it's on its way to become, again, a, 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 leading, uh, a, a leading manufacturer and distributor of, uh, of licorice. And they've got a bunch of brands now. It's just not black and red. They've got all of these brands that zing and pop like lemonade and cherry cola and so they're back in business so the story has this sort of resurrection aspect to it which is kind of cool great story arc you know struggling you know irish american families break out of the poverty of north st louis start a candy factory hums along does great you know totally goes belly up busts and comes back from the dead yeah from the ashes and that factory's here in st louis area phoenix yeah (laughs) 
Actually, right now they're manufacturing it with all of the original recipes, uh, but they're they're actually physically manufacturing it out of not not in St. Louis, out of state. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, in in the book, I, I actually have an electronic copy, so I would be I would sound halfway intelligent when I talk to you right now. I was surprised at how oh your your questions. It's like, has he read the book? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, thank you, uh, thank you. The, 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 the pictures and the artifacts, the signs, the the uh, photographs, like of I'm looking at something about uh, the first labor union, which I'm going to ask you in a minute here. But oh, they're, funny. they're just full of just wonderful kinds of um, artifacts of of the factory and of your family and of the history of, of licorice, and it's just it's just great. There are almost a hundred photographs in the book. And, you know, of course, you know, being from TV, I think of the pictures first, you know, don't let the words get in the way of the pictures, you know, and (laughs) uh, publishing is really different from broadcasting, but uh, yeah, but about, I mean, it's a book that you can just, I think you can really get off in the photographs as well as the brilliantly told story. Well, tell, tell the story uh, about the pretty chewing gum girls who form a union. Oh. This is funny, and I've got a picture of the front page. The post is, okay, in 1900, there was this vicious streetcar strike. It's, it's pretty famous. I mean, people were killed. Uh, there was this, the streetcar workers were on strike, and the working-class people of the city were solidly behind these working men and women of the streetcars. And uh, Fred, Fred Switzer, this just attests to what a great marketing guy he was. He was not a pro-labor union guy by any means at all. But there's a story in the post in the post dispatch with like drawings of these seven young women with this great headline that says, "Pretty chewing gum girls form union." Well, the the the, the young women who wrapped the chewing gum, which they made at the time in wrappers, had formed a quote unquote union. You get more and more into the story, and you realize this is not really a union at all. This is something that Fred Switzer worked out with a couple of the young women so he could have union labels stamped on everything that went out because public sympathy was so pro-union. <laughs> so, and, it, and it's so funny. I mean, talk about, talk about how politically incorrect this article is. This oh, is yeah. 1900, <laughs> July of 1900. Pretty, pretty chewing gum. Yeah. And, and the article, I don't, I don't have the words in front of me right now, but it was the leader of the union, the president of the local, an attractive young woman, uh, full-figured yet not stout, with a look of intelligence in her eyes, uh, you know, like a, a full lips and, 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 a, and a pleasant voice. So after like three paragraphs of what she looks like, right. they finally get around to her <laughs> ideas on, on organized labor. And it's like, we don't want Mr. Switzer or anyone to think that we are very happy here, and we don't want to raise, and uh-huh. our working conditions are wonderful. We just want to show our support for the... For the, the streetcar workers, you know. Yeah, so, so I mean, funny. And what a marketing, what a, what a great marketing, oh, you know, trick. Absolutely. It was. I, I had forgotten <laughs> that they had made chewing gum. I didn't even know that. Oh, they made, made, they made, they made chewing gum. I, mean, I think they just tried almost everything at one, at one point or another. Uh, yeah, chewing gum, candy, caramel, uh, a thing called buttermilk. And uh, 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 something called chocolate, the chocolate soldier, which wasn't shaped like a soldier. It stood up to St. Louis heat like a soldier. That was sort of the, you know, the marketing. Yeah, so Mike Switzer, he's, he's got this great attitude towards the company. He just loves the licorice. And, it, yeah, you're right. His slogan is, we eat as much as we can and we sell the rest, which I think is 
pretty cool. Hey, we're adapting this to um, uh, an hour-long television show for Channel 9. Yeah. Huh. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. That, yeah. Uh, that would Channel, be... Channel 9 liked the idea, so I'm in the process now of adapting it to, uh, you know, to a television show, which for is television. supposed to be finished by next, <laughs> next June. It'll be, it'll be like an hour-long pledge, pledge special, you know, so... So uh, that's kind of fun too. That's that's uh, that's not in your wheelhouse, is it at all? Uh, right? No, <laughs> no, no. I yeah, know it. I don't have any idea how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's another no, one of these. Uh, uh, what I would call a cartoon ad uh, that's in the book. It says, "Figures don't lie. It's the low calorie candy." Figures show yeah. sweet, delicious yeah. Switzers is lower in calories than most other popular candy bars. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's funny the way they you know the way they try way, the way they try to to sell it, and then in the 1960s they hire a um, a marketing company which comes up with all these goofy ideas like uh, they have a little character called Albert Schwe- uh, Albert Switzer, get it <laughs> like Albert Schweitzer, Albert Switzer, boy explorer, and and as I, as I said in, in in the book, it didn't really go over very well because uh, a lot of people didn't associate you know the early 20th century missionary philosopher albert schweitzer with licorice uh, you know and then it was take a trip to switzerland you know uh yeah I, it's survived wow. it survived some really <laughs> bad marketing back there in the in the 60s they didn't pay for so it, it was, <laughs> yeah and it was like uh, this advertising uh, agency was uh, this marketing company was saying uh, licorice, you you got to rebrand it. You've got to come up with something new. A lot of people associate it with the depression and penny candy. You've got to get a new angle to it. Right. And uh, whatever. So yeah, yeah. But was, you know, people who like licorice like licorice. I hear from a lot of people who have memories of uh, of you know being a child and their their you know folks would bring it home and they would devour it. In our family, it was a basic food group. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit surprised you didn't work at the factory, Patrick. You know, I think there was a time when I was a young teenager where I just thought that's what you did. Yeah. You know, that you just grew up and worked at the factory. Because, like, How well, many generations? Factory was like yeah. a concept. And, uh, and, like, I was the first of the, you know, I was first generation to be able to go to college. You, you know, my parents were World War II and the Great Depression, and before that, you know, there was, a lot of things that kept people from going to family. So my folks were, no, you're not going to work at the factory. You're going to get an education. And go into radio. You're going to work in radio. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sorry. We want want you to do something that makes a major contribution to society. <laughs> okay. Hey, I can make this joke, right? I've been yes, that's right. right. There you go. Yes, you can. Okay. You In know, fact, I think Mark. Mark, didn't you and I work at a station? Was it KGLD or didn't you and I work at a radio station twenty five years ago or somewhere? It was probably even longer. I can't. Re- yes, it was one of those. He looks older than that, we were, Patrick. It was one of those. <laughs> it was one of those. It's a, a brief. Well, moment. You know, I think. I think I think I think something happened ten years ago, and then somebody shakes his head and goes, uh, "No, Patrick, that was twenty five years ago." So <laughs> that's right. Now, now, whenever I refer to anything in the past, I just tack on an extra twenty. Years. <laughs> that's really yeah. yeah, that's the best way to go. You, you yeah. talked about that Albert Switzer, and it's the Tri Switzer's bites. And I was telling Mark off air during the break <laughs> that I, re- I remember those little bite sized things. What used to do is stick them on my teeth, and and, and I'd have this mouthful of of black teeth. Right. Right. 
Well, you still do have black teeth. I just, <laughs> you know just see, you, can't, people you know, can't Dan, see that, but he does. <laughs> Dan Warner, the, 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 the co-owner now, Dan Warner is a, is a good friend of mine. Uh, he used to snake it, snake the lariats. They called them lariats. They were about 36 inches long, and, right. and they were like ropes made out of licorice. And he would snake it up his sleeve and out his cuff so that when uh, uh, he went to Priory, so... So, so he could eat candy during class, and the monks wouldn't catch him. You know, <laughs> that's tremendous. That's yeah. tremendous. You know, there's something there's something magical about candy, and 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 it's the first consumer decision you ever make. Your parents give you a, a dime and oh. say, "Here, go buy some candy." Maybe it's a dollar now. It used to be a dime. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of the first decisions you get to make about what you want to buy as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's something that you associate with with wonderful memories. It's a product that's more fun to share than to, to enjoy alone. So there's this magic of candy that, that, that we carry around in our brains that makes it something special. I mean, I don't know if, if the Murphys and the Switzer made hinges for screen doors. I don't know if it would make as interesting a book. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> it now, wouldn't. Only if it could eat them. Right, right. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, it would be very interesting. It's great St. Louis yeah. memories. And uh, as a side comment and a, a kind of a sidebar deal, your interest in art oh. Oh. and your interest yeah. in, in working on um, the, the woodcuts and, yeah. and, and how you've done that, where did that spring from? I've just always sort of been interested in, in, in art and, and, and painting. And I retired full-time from Channel 9 about three years ago. Okay. Now I do independent projects for them and documentaries and music shows, variety shows, things like that. But I had more time. And so uh, I just kind of fell into the, into the woodcutting where you take basically a piece of plywood and, and you draw a picture on it. And then you cut out the part that you want to be white and leave the part you want to be black. And then you roll ink over it and run it through a printing press. And I just felt I thought I'd do a couple of them. And I fell in love with the process, the black and the white and uh, the, the contrast. And I just really got interested in it. And so, so, you know, I started hanging out with more artists and, and I started getting in shows like the Shaw Art Fair. And I started exhibiting at some of the galleries in St. Louis and, and started selling it, which is fun. I mean, it's always nice to know that it's not just like your wife and your friends who like it, but somebody is actually willing to pay for it. You say, hey, <laughs> yeah, valid- right. this is validating. You know? <laughs> it is validating. And yeah. uh, no, thanks for mentioning that. They, uh, it's, um, uh, it's, 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 it's something that I, I something that I really enjoy. Do you like you know? that over? And, uh, have you done linoleum cuts, or have you worked in other mediums like you know, know, pastels I, or oils? I, uh, no, uh, watercolors mostly, and 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 the wood printing. Um, no, not linoleum because I, I, I like I like I like the way the wood kind of fights back and has its own opinions about what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. So it's like the linoleum is so easy. It's like it's like oh, you want to go over here? Fine, let's go over there. It's, it's like working with linoleum is hanging out with a friend who always wants to do what you want to do. Um, you know, you want to eat Chinese? Yeah, we'll eat Chinese. You want to go to a movie? <laughs> yeah, we'll go to a movie. You know, that's that's linoleum. Wood is oh oh. You think you think you want to go this way? Well, you know, buddy, I got grain, yeah. you know, and we're not going that way. <laughs> so it's more of a collaboration between the wood and and your little idea of what you think the picture ought to look like. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I appreciate that uh, insight because that's a anybody anybody who wants to see this stuff. I think I think the website is pmurphystl.com. 
tmurphystl.com, and there are probably about you know twenty or thirty woodcuts there that uh, you can enjoy if you like. Don't confuse that with candymenthebook.com. That's totally different. Oh no 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 I know I, I you no, you are, no no you are correct and let's give them both out here. So we have pmurphystl.com. That's uh, Patrick's gallery site. And uh, yeah. but the one that we're talking with him about, which is candymenthebook.com, you can get a copy yeah. of Candyman: The Story of Switzer's Licorice. It's published by Reedy Press. And again, if you enjoy history and licorice, this book is for you. It's you know I, I love that it's nice and concise. If you're from St. Louis, you must get this book because you know I really I think you should have had a scratch and smell thing on this. Um, oh yeah, it, it would have been a bestseller <laughs> oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. It would have been a New York Times bestseller. Right, right. They would have liked it in New York. Yeah. Hey, it's early in the game. Who knows? That's might true. Be, might be. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Murphy, thank you very much for joining us today on St. Louis in Tune. Patrick, I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Patrick. Hey, this was fun, and thank you so much for the time. You guys do a wonderful job. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Patrick. Take right. care.